That's correct. You can talk in the mic. Yeah, just you're gonna have to be used to just staying still. I know, which is hard for you. So you're gonna have to basically stay right, right in the mic here because you can see your sound waves. You're on the bottom. I can't see them. You can't see them. No, I can't. Where am I looking? Oh, the white one. Yeah. So those white. That's your sound waves. I'm saying nothing. You it's are. It's doing nothing. What are you talking about? Do you not see those bars of white? But they're there whether I'm saying something or not. Oh. See that? Oh, okay. Welcome to the Your Mom on Drugs podcast. Um, I've got myself, Josh Klaus, here. And I'm Jennifer Seltzer. Yes, and we're a lovely mother and son pair um, who really love talking about drugs, um, mostly the kind that you take and usually that you get at your local pharmacy or prescribed by your doctor. Um, the other recreational stuff that you want to do, you're going to have to go to another podcast. Um, so... Um, I was fortunate enough to be raised by a mom who was a pharmacist. My mom has a doctor, of, uh, a doctorate in pharmacy. And uh, I always thought that that was just common mom knowledge of knowing what drugs to take in the house for what conditions. But I realized that she was trained quite rigorously <laughs> at various universities to know what little pills to put in your mouth and definitely what pills not to put in your mouth um, so that you take them for certain conditions. Um, so I wanted to share that knowledge with the world. I thought it was extremely selfish to keep that to myself. Um, and so we basically, each week or each month, we should say, each episode, really, um, that we take a topic that we think is interesting, usually a topic that usually afflicts a lot of people. Um, and we try to say this is the best or most, you know, this is the best way to treat yourself with the current knowledge that we have. Um, and speaking of knowledge, I'm going to turn it over to my mom of how we do our research each episode. Um, so you have an idea of how we think about these conditions and what resources we use if you want to go look them up for yourself. So, mom, how do you uh, research each episode? Well, I think with my um, pharmacy background and uh, specifically, I was trained um, in the area of drug information. So I learned how to research um, drug information um, um, on an through an evidence-based format. And what that means is, is that you're looking for data that has been um, assessed through clinical trials or um, data that's, that has, that have been collected over time to help determine the information that's presented. So I will use uh, textbooks to get background information. Uh, there are some pharmacy texts and resources that I'll use to get specific drug information. And sometimes I'll even do Medline searches or, or PubMed searches to look for specific articles, clinical trials to help support or um, uh, refine the information that we're discussing. So you don't just Google search and just regurgitate your Google search? I don't really do that. Now, there are some legitimate websites to go to that do have good data that we may also use, things like the Centers for Drug for Centers for Disease Control or the Food and Drug Administration. You know, so they have but they have they have data on their websites that are evidence-based. So we'll use those sometimes as well. 
Yeah, we should clarify evidence-based because not all evidence-based research is made equal. Like, for example, randomized control trials are at the top of, we should describe that pyramid that you showed me that one time. So if you're reading a study online, it'll probably mention the type of study that's being done. And you'll see different words like prospective study, retrospective study, observational, et cetera. And each of those studies might be evidence-based, but the design of that study is going to be limited by um, a certain number of factors that may, we might get into in another episode. But would you mind for the listeners just letting what people know, like maybe the hierarchy of of certain types of trials? Sure. Uh, you know, at the bottom, you're going to, you know, like public opinion or opinion pieces are going to be kind of at the bottom of the pyramid. And you may have case reports down at the bottom as well, too. And then as you go up, you may have observational studies, which don't have a control group. So it's basically just looking for associations between uh, the different things that you're looking at. You move up to a randomized control trial where you actually do have a control group and you can look at cause and effect in those types of trials. And then above that, you have things that are called either meta-analysis, meta-analyses or systematic reviews, which can take a bunch of clinical trials and look at them together, um, looking for you know similar characteristics, different characteristics, and answering a particular question um, based on what available literature is about that particular topic. And they usually are about the top of the pyramid as far as information and evidence evidence you know is evidence goes. And you know, unlike something like math, where two plus two equals four, science works a little bit differently. Where you you have a claim like this drug you know, decreases this amount of chemical in my body. And that's not going to be like a definitive answer. You're basically collecting evidence, almost like you'd be collecting evidence in a court case to prove guilt or not guilt. You're also doing the same thing with science. You're proving effectiveness or non-effectiveness. And there's a degree of how effective something might be. And you're trying to collect enough evidence to show support of your claim, right? That's correct. Yes. And sometimes, sometimes you do and sometimes you don't. So Yeah. And it's just as powerful to know what you don't know versus what you do know. So Absolutely. you can eliminate variables. And so when we give recommendations, it's not a definitive answer. This is just based on evidence that we've collected or other people have collected. Um, so we really want people to think about science that way. It's this really fun, almost like detective or court case where you're trying to support or tear down your own claim. And if you have an opinion that you hold about something and you find a website that confirms your opinion, try to go find a website that disconfirms your opinion. A lot of science is about falsifying your claim, meaning that you're trying to actually prove your claim wrong. You're eliminating variables. And that's the fun thing. And we try to circle the truth that way. So with that being said, in that little intro about how we do what we do, uh, we're going to move into talking about the topic today uh, which might throw you off. We're going to be talking about conjunctivitis, uh, which also is known as pink eye. Pink eye. And if you've ever had pink eye before, you probably know it's not a fun ordeal um, and that it's easily spread. You probably have some jokes about it. Um, but we want, it was one of the conditions that's actually most people are afflicted by. So we wanted to, our first couple of episodes, we wanted to talk about things that people are most afflicted by. Because it is mildly annoying to have your eyesight taken away from you. I think it's one of those things that's taken for granted of how well you can see and how unperturbed you could actually see. Um, so, Mom, do you want to kick off and talking about what conjunctivitis is? So, 
um, to just to describe conjunctivitis, let me first tell everyone what the conjunctiva is. And the conjunctiva is part of our eye, obviously. It is actually the part that covers the surface of the eye as well as the inner lining of the eyelid. So it's going to be that white part. It covers what we call the sclera of the eye. So it's that white part in your eye. And so what happens when you get conjunctivitis is it gets infected or it gets irritated. And there, um, the, and interestingly, like Josh said, we are talking about topics where uh, things affect a lot of people. And there can be up to 6 million cases of conjunctivitis each year in the United States. And it can cost anywhere from $300 million to $800 million to just treat this particular Ill, the condition or, or, you know, malady. Yeah, and that's and by treating is just you know with people buying eye drops or you know could various- be it could be, and we'll get into treatment in in a minute. Um, it could be things that you buy, and it could be just things like cold compresses, you know, and stuff. Okay. So just depending on the type of conjunctivitis. Yeah, so I was um I I looked up some interesting facts about the conjunctiva just as some people who wanted a, a deeper dive. But there's two types: it's the the bulbar and the palpebral conjunctiva. The palpebral being the stuff that goes under your eyelids and the bulbar, which is attached to your eye itself in the sclera, like, like my mom said. Um, the palpebral, actually, palpebral, anytime you see that word, it just means of or relating to the eyelids. It's Latin for palpebralis. Um, and then the bulbar is associated with like the bulb of your eye. Like you think of like a bulb, like an onion bulb. It kind of, your eye is kind of shaped in a similar, um, in a similar shape. And the word conjunctiva, it also comes from Latin, conjugir, which is like conjugate, which means to come together. So it's actually the coming together of basically two different types of tissue. Um, and the conjunctivus is really, even though it's super thin, it's really, really cool. I mean, it has like these types of cells that secrete stuff like, like tears, and it also keeps your eyes fairly lubricated. Um, it also has like immune cells in there as well, like B cells and T cells. And that's going to come into play when we talk about infection, um, which conjunctivitis just means the inflammation of. So when you hear inflammation, um, a lot of times that's associated with the immune system. So I just wanted to say in, in this very thin layer of your eyes, actually, there's so much going on in there with a lot of different types of cells because you really do want to protect your eye, but also you want to keep it functional by keeping it lubricated, keeping it moist, so that light can come in and do what it does um, and allows you uh, to see certain things. So um, it's you know the one of the more sensitive parts of your eye, uh, which makes it vulnerable to attack. So we should probably talk about the ways in which it could get attacked. So mom, do you want to outline the ways that the conjunctiva can can be invaded? Absolutely. So actually, when you get conjunctivitis, it needs to be determined what type of conjunctivitis you have. So there are four different types. You can have bacterial conjunctivitis, so that's kind of obvious. It's going to be caused by bacteria. You can have viral conjunctivitis caused by a virus. You can have allergic conjunctivitis due to some sort of a allergen in the air. And then you can also have what they call irritative or contact dermatitis. And it could be due to something that gets in your eye that causes irritation. Yeah. So, so just like a mechanical, like just like a piece of dust or some. It could be that smoke, okay. uh, you know, wind, 
um, can do that. So let me break down those different part, uh, those different types. Would that be okay? And give you a little bit more detail about oh, each one. Absolutely, it'd be okay. Okay, <laughs> let's start first of all with viral conjunctivitis, which happens to be the most prevalent type of conjunctivitis of all age groups. It can happen in up to eighty percent of all cases, and it's going to be more common in the summertime. And it usually begins when you have viral conjunctivitis, it usually begins with one eye, but it can transmit to the other eye. Um, and so then you could have it in both eyes. Um, it usually, so viral conjunctivitis is usually associated with a thin watery discharge. Um, and you can have, sometimes you can have kind of a pussy discharge, but that is not as common with viral conjunctivitis. Yeah, so does a thin, watery discharge, does that just mean that, does it feel like you're just crying a little bit more? You can, it just, yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that the that it's pouring down your face per se, but, you know, that it's just, it's not normal, you know, it's yes. like, you know, we've got lubrication in our eyes, but this is going to be excessive, so you're going to definitely feel like it, you might have to blot your eyes, you're like, something's not right here okay. and stuff. So, and as opposed to like a, a pussy discharge, which is kind of, I know that's a little gross y'all, but that's just that kind of white discharge that you get from something infecting you. Right. And you can have itching with viral conjunctivitis, but not always. And you can have redness sometimes with viral conjunctivitis as well too, but that's not necessarily going to be the diagnostic tool or, or figuring out what kind of conjunctivitis you have. It's going to be a looking at kind of the whole pat package or the whole picture to figure out kind of what conjunctivitis you have. Okay. So that's viral and it that's affects viral. the most people, but it seems to be fairly mild other than just slightly discomfort. It is. Um, the interestingly interesting thing about conjunctivitis, bacterial and viral conjunctivitis are that they are very contagious. And, and so you have viral conjunctivitis and it can it can cure on its own, but it can take sometimes up to two weeks. And so you could stay infectious and, and contagious during that time period, especially if you still have a lot of discharge or, you know, you feel the effects of that in your eye. Um, and antibiotics will not work for viral conjunctivitis because there's no bacteria there. So uh. taking a bacteria, antibacterial eye drop is not going to be what's prescribed for you for viral conjunctivitis. So if I'm at the pharmacy or the grocery store and I see something that says antibacterial or antibiotic, that is just for bacteria. Right. Okay. And you can't just look for those. They are prescription only. Okay. So your physician or healthcare provider would have to be involved with getting a, a, a prescription for an antibacterial eye drop to treat bacterial conjunctivitis. So hopefully they'll be knowledgeable enough and they won't give you antibacterial for a viral uh, pink eye. Right, right. That There's a little caveat to that, though. Let me talk a little bit about bacterial yeah, conjunctivitis, and then I'll come back to that, okay, if that's okay. Absolutely. Okay. That's a good, look, good little segue. Okay. So bacteria, that's a good, that is a good segue into bacterial conjunctivitis. Actually, bacterial conjunctivitis is more common in kiddos. And it, when they get conjunctivitis, 50 to 75% of the time, it's due to a bacteria. And remember, it's very contagious, you know. So um, getting a handle on it to keep it from spreading to a bunch of other kids is, is a good idea. Um, a little bit about bacterial conjunctivitis. 
it's going to uh, it's going to occur more commonly in the winter months from December to April is when you're going to see it more commonly. Um, and the way it's easier to de- it's easier to to detect or to to tell the difference with bacterial conjunctivitis versus viral or allergic conjunctivitis is in that you usually have that purulent pussy discharge and it's the one where you you're, you'll wake up in the morning with your eyes crusted over which is not as common in viral conjunctivitis and you really don't see that in allergic conjunctivitis either now you don't see it always a hundred percent of bacterial conjunctivitis so if it's not there it doesn't necessarily mean you don't have bacterial conjunctivitis but it is a more um, uh, diagnostic tool for that type of conjunctivitis um, usually it can't, you know, when you get that pussy, you know, crusty kind of discharge in your eye, you can have a little visual blurring, but you shouldn't have vision loss with it. It just, you know, it's uncomfortable and it's just kind of a pain. Okay. So there's going to be a little bit of pain swelling and that dis- it's just not going to look very good. And it's also, yes, but it's, it's, it's going to be noticeable. Right. And you're, you and then you're going to definitely feel it. Usually with bacterial conjunctivitis, like viral conjunctivitis, it usually starts in one eye and may then spread to the other eye okay. as well. Cause you, it's probably because it's going to be irritating. So you're probably going to scratch it with your hand and then, and then you're going to touch, touch your, the other eye. And you might touch your other hand, which then you'll go. Yeah, because we just can't help but touch our face. There you go. We love we touching can't. our faces. We can't. I just did it right now. Yeah, that's right. You can't see it on podcasts. Um, and the other thing that's really interesting with bacterial conjunctivitis is that um, that it's usually not associated with other conditions like upper respiratory infections. So you can have a viral conjunctivitis conjunctivitis or allergic conjunctivitis and also have like um, a cold, you know, or having an allergic, you know, experience. But usually that's not the case with bacterial conjunctivitis. And like we mentioned before, it is going to require a prescription by a healthcare provider to treat it uh, because it's due to a bacteria. And we want to get rid of it as fast as possible because it's so contagious. Gotcha. And so you can't get an over-the-counter antibacterial. You cannot. So you need. Is there a reason for that? Is it just because we don't want to give? I just want for people out there, if you uh, if you don't complete your course of of antibiotics, um, there's a chance of bacteria becoming antibiotic resistant, um, and that is not good because you want antibiotics to treat it. But is there a reason why antibiotics are only prescribed? Are there side effects associated with taking them? Um, I think that. You know, there there's not a lot of adverse effects associated with them. I mean, there can certainly be some burning and stuff, but I think it's also too um, looking for a for a healthcare provider to look at your eye to make sure that there's nothing else going on as well too, especially with bacterial conjunctivitis, because sometimes you can get a cellulitis, so that means the skin around your lid of your eye or whatever can also get infected. And so you might not be the best person to determine that. And so I think somebody with more experience, like a healthcare provider, is going to give you the right kind of treatment for that. Um, And again, they're going to look for other things too that might be going on as well to just make sure that um, there's nothing else going on. Um, In fact, I've got... um, um, This might be a good time to kind of break over to that. I've got a little, I've got a list of times when we should seek attention from a healthcare provider when something's going on with our eye. Um, And so here is that list. So um, if you have not irritation, but 
pain in your eyeball, like mm. pain in your eyeball. In your eyeball. In your You'll eyeball. You'll feel it in your eyeball. Right. You want to go seek Im- immediate yeah. attention. Um, also, if you have significant changes in your vision, um, so not just a little blurring or just kind of irritation, but it's like I can't see or something's gone, some field of vision is gone, definitely you want to go see somebody right away. You might have um, to get a ride because you won't be able to see. That's right. That's absolutely true. Don't drive if you can't see. That's, y'all. That is very, very smart. I hope that's obvious. So if you all, all of a sudden have extreme sensitivity to light, um, that's not normal. So you want to go get that checked out. Um, if you feel like there's a foreign body in your eye, there could be a foreign body in your eye. That's very different than like a gritty sensation. And so again, and the reason I'm giving you this list of things to do if you've got these symptoms is that you don't want to lose your vision. And so these are things that could potentially, if not dealt with, could cause you some vision loss. So that's why you want to deal with these more acutely, you know, than um, an allergic conjunctivitis, which you can handle on your own. Um, a couple of other things are if, you, if, you've, if you've had trauma to your eye, then absolutely you want to go see somebody. If you've got hit in the face in your eye, you definitely want to go see somebody about that because there could be other things that you can't see going on that you want somebody to take care of or evaluate. Um, also, too, if you have, if you noticed you've got blood, that you see actual blood in your eye or pussy discharge, like you having a bacterial conjunctivitis, you want to see somebody about that. Like when you look in the mirror and you might see a little, like a burst, like blood vessel right. or something like that. Because you know, that can mean there's ex- there's high pressure in your eye and somebody needs to look at that right away. Um, if you do have, like I talked about that, sometimes you can have a swelling of the tissue around your eye. Uh, the the lid or the the tissue around your eye, underneath your eye, that could mean that you've got the infection that's in your conjunctiva could have spread to the tissue around it. And that, again, is a reason that you would need antibiotics. And then finally, contact lens wearers. If you've got something going on with your eye, you do need to see your ophthalmologist or your optometrist or a healthcare provider because with contact lenses, they, uh, the, the contact lens wearers might have a weird bug growing in their eye just because they've got something in their eye all the time. Also too, with the contact lens, you could have a, what they call a corneal abrasion. So your contact lens might've scratched your cornea. And so that needs to be looked at as well too. And that's more of an acute issue. So those are some of those reasons that you might want to see somebody right away. Um, including if you've, you know, if you've got pus coming out of your eyes for bacterial, um, right. Conjunctivitis. And you definitely don't want that to get worse. Right. Absolutely. All right. So we've talked about viral pink eye. We've talked about bacterial pink eye. I think you mentioned also that you can have an allergic reaction. And yes. Also a, a, a dermatitis, which... Uh, or irritative. Irritative or contact uh, conjunctivitis as well, too. Yeah. And that's so just me... from like something like wind or smoke because right. smoke isn't just smoke. There's little particles in there. Right. Another thing that can cause irritative conjunctivitis, which I found very interesting, was that if you've got... If you're, if you're exposed to intense light, what they call snow blindness that that can cause an irritative conjunctivitis. Of course, living in South Texas, we don't see uh, a lot of, you know, snow for long periods other than 2020 winter, but, yeah. um, or 20, yeah, 
but this anyway, 2021 winter. Yeah. What, excuse me. Um, Everyone up north is like you babies. I know you we know, are poor, poor little babies. Um, the other thing that can be an irritate, an irritant to your eye is chlorine from a swimming pool. And so you, all of us may have experienced a little redness in our eyes after we've been swimming, and it's because of that chlorine. Um, then, th- and then, like Josh mentioned too, the fourth category is allergic conjunctivitis, which can happen in fifteen to forty percent of the population. And it can actually become frequently recurring or chronic depending on your history of allergies. Um, It can be seasonal or it can be, so that means it may just happen in the seasons or or it could be perennial, which means it could happen all year round. Yeah. And Um, we should... uh we should mention what an allergy is like just mechanically, like an allergy in your body is essentially when a substance that isn't a part of you, like your cells or the things that you create and it enters your body and your body detects it as a foreign threat. And it mounts an immune response to that foreign body, which is usually a good thing. But a lot of the side effects that happens with an immune response are things like inflammation. And inflammation is an increased amount of blood flow to an area. And if you think about like a water balloon, when you're filling a water balloon with water, it expands the size of the balloon. And if that's in a tight area, that's an increased pressure. And that increased pressure we call swelling. And swelling can sometimes lead to pain. Now, if you think about how amazing that is, you eat foreign substances every day. We call it breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And your body doesn't mount an immune response to them. It's gotten used to you eating these things. But sometimes for people who have allergies to things like peanuts or maybe even seafood, you're aware that certain things that are normal for other people aren't normal uh, for you. And so in Texas, for example, we have these trees called cedar trees, um, specifically ash junipers. Um, that whenever they pollinate, whether basically they're, they're releasing their fertilizer to basically reproduce with other trees, that uh, pollen is actually quite, uh, a lot of people are quite allergic to that. Most of the time it's breathed in um, through their lungs, which causes some fatigue and malaise. Um, but other things can also enter your eye in a similar way and cause the same effect. So it's all, it's all about the portal of entry uh, sometimes with allergens. But I just wanted to talk about allergies because a lot of times, it's so hard to diagnose what's an allergy versus what's a virus and what's a bacteria because your body responds and it only has a set number of strategies to fight multiple things. So what can feel like an allergy might actually be a virus and what is a virus might actually be a bacteria, which is why it's really good to not always assume that something's an allergy or a virus or bacteria. It's really good to confirm what that is. But if you've had allergies in the past, like we've said on this podcast before, when you hear hooves, it's probably a horse, not a zebra. Uh, but if you're experiencing something for the first time, it'd be a good idea to start asking these basic questions so you kind of get at the root of your condition. So with that being said, love for you to talk about how uh, allergic conjunctivitis can affect people. Sure, that's a, that's a great segue. So again, like um, it's, it's common if you have allergies and you develop allergic conjunctivitis, you could have what they call allergic rhinitis along with it, which means, you know, that runny nose, sneezing, watery eyes, um, your eyes can itch and stuff. So that's kind of all that part of that allergic conjunctivitis kind of um, uh, condition. And again, allergic conjunctivitis is most likely going to occur in spring and summer months, but you could also get it any other time. So if you are allergic to cedar in South Texas, you could get allergic conjunctivitis at that time as well. 
Um, so again, again, let us let's let's just recap. So there are four different kinds of conjunctivitis. There is viral, which is the most common that we see. Bacterial, which is the most common that can be seen in kiddos. Um, uh, uh, allergic conjunctivitis, and then irritative conjunctivitis. And, and let me, yeah, and also with the uh, vac- uh, the virus usually happens in the summertime. And the bacterial usually happens in the wintertime. Right. The viral in the in the summertime and the bacterial in the winter. Yes. So if you are experiencing these symptoms, um, and especially if you're if you have kids, most of the time if it's in the summer, the highly likelihood of viral uh, versus in the winter. So something right. to look for too. And also to remember if you have a more pussy kind of a discharge, it may more likely be a bacterial conjunctivitis. So you're gonna probably need some antibiotics. Again, let me just refresh or just review kind of the symptoms that you can see with conjunctivitis. Um, You can have a pink color in the whites of your eyes. Um, Again, remember that membrane is covering the whites of your eyes. So if you get, like Josh said, that inflammation, that you can have that redness. And so you're going to notice that in your eyes. Um, You can have increased tear production. Um, You can have itching and blurred vision. Um, and you can have irritation, so it feels kind of irritated in your eye. And then you can have crusting of your eyelids upon awakening, but that's usually just with bacterial conjunctivitis. So you don't always have all of these symptoms with all the different kinds of conjunctivitis, but these are the types of symptoms that you can have with conjunctivitis. Wonderful. And, uh, well, not wonderful if you're experiencing these things, but it's good to know. And I'm sure listeners out there are like, okay. Now I know everything about the conjunctiva, probably more than I even wanted to know, but I hope that for those of you who like knowledge, you like knowing more than you should know. For the people going through this condition, they're probably screaming, how do I treat this thing? I just want to feel better. Well, luckily, we've got our our mom on drugs, and she is going to be going over some of the treatment options for when you or a loved one is experiencing pink eye or conjunctivitis. So, uh, mom, what can we do to avail ourselves from this this eye of pain? (laughs) Well, uh, so first of all, there are some general things that can be done. Make sure that you wash your hands often and you don't touch and rub your eyes. So it's like we talked about, if it's in one eye and you don't want it to go to the other eye, you got to keep your hands off and stuff and make sure that you you keep your hands clean during this time. I'll definitely say easier said than done. Absolutely. But, you know, and again, with kiddos, especially, that's going to be really hard. Um, Another thing is that you want to avoid close contact with other people until your symptoms improve. Um, For bacterial conjunctivitis, you're going to avoid contact with people for at least the 24 hours, at least for 24 hours after you've started antibiotic therapy or antimicrobial therapy, and then um, until the pus discharge from your eye is reduced. So you got to wait at least 24 hours, and sometimes it'll be 48 hours um, before you can go back and interact with people again when you start feeling better with that. Um, Remember with allergic conjunctivitis, I'm sorry, please excuse me, with viral conjunctivitis, uh, antimicrobials are not going to work and you can have symptoms for up to two weeks. So you're going to need to kind of stay away or just uh, assess yourself until your symptoms start getting better before you start interacting with other people. Um, for, for our ladies or for whoever uses makeup, 
You don't want to share your makeup or your cosmetics with other people. And any of those cosmetics that you were using on your eye before you got or while you got conjunctivitis, you're going to need to throw away because they could possibly be contaminated. Um, you don't want to use eye medicine prescribed for someone else. So you want to make sure if you're going to need eye medicine that you get your own. Gotcha. Because they could have, you, it could, for example, if you have bacterial and it's just a, for viral, then it's not going to really work. Right. right. So you Absolutely. Right eye medicine for Absolutely. Okay. Um, it, you don't want to share towels and sheets with someone else when you've got conjunctivitis, because again, it can spread, it could, you know, get all over the towels and the sheets. And if you've got conjunctivitis in one eye, but not in the other, make sure you make sure you use a separate towel for each eye. And then you don't want to swim while you have conjunctivitis. And um, you don't want to wear your contact lenses until your conjunctivitis improves. Okay, so those are just some general concepts for all the different types of conjunctivitis. For allergic conjunctivitis, uh, again, remember, there's not going to be an antibiotic that we can take to make it get, feel better. You can use cold compresses. So what that means is like a cold rag, and you could place it over your eyes to just get some relief from maybe if there's a little swelling there or just uncomfortableness, irritation, you could place that there. Um, and then you can also use topical decongestants. So there are drops that are decongestants that can shrink those vessels in your eyes and kind of, it's kind of like take the red out. You know? Okay. And then um, there's antihistamines because, because it's an allergic type of a reaction, which Josh talked about, you know, the different types of um, allergies, uh, the, the different type of mechanisms that our body has to fight allergies. Those types of cells can be prevalent. Mast cells, eosinophils are some of them. And so you can take an antihistamine to kind of reduce those numbers to get rid of those, you know, itchiness kind of feelings in your eye. Yeah. And, and just to reiterate, mast cells and eosinophils are types of cells that release histamines into the area of interest, which cause inflammation. Histamines are essentially markers that these cells will release to say, hey, blood vessels, go there. And then that's where it increases a lot of blood. So it's almost like playing fetch with your circulatory system and, uh, and your circulatory system will go in that direction. So anti meaning against or lessening and histamine. So an antihistamine or an antihistamine will decrease the number of histamines being created in that moment. And that's what's causing the discomfort. Okay. A couple of other things that can be used in allergic conjunctivitis are topical non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. Uh, so kind of like your um, 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 Voltaren for your eye. It's not Voltaren. You don't put Voltaren in your eye, but it's the same kind of drug. There's an eye drop. So it's going to help reduce inflammation, not by reducing histamine per se, but prostaglandin is another thing that can cause inflammation. And that's going to reduce that in your eye as well. And, and you said non-steroidal anti-inflammatory anti drugs. And you'll usually on the bottle, you'll see something like an NSAID. N-S-A-I-D. And you might see that on things like Tylenol or ibuprofen. Sorry, not Tylenol. Tylenol is not an NSAID. Oh, okay. Aspirin is. But, aspirin. But not Tylenol. Gotcha. Yes. So we have things like aspirin, uh, but you can also get some similar things like that in drop form. So you'll see the drop and it'll say an NSAID on it. 
And that's for allergic, correct? That is for allergic. And I believe if I'm not mistaken, that's a prescription drug. So you would need a little bit of help with, you know, getting a prescription for that. Um, And then the other thing that can be uh, used to treat allergic conjunctivitis is called, and again, this would require a prescription as well, is something called a mast cell stabilizer. So again, those, those, um, those, uh, um, those components that get released in allergic reaction, like mast cells, eosinophils, mast cell stabilizers will kind of help those kind of um, uh, stop being activated. That again, that's a prescription drug. It's just another kind of medication. Chromalin, metachromal, and uh, lidoxamide are the types of drugs that are in that that drug class and stuff. And that's for allergic conjunctivitis. Yeah, so it'll basically tell your mast cells to kind of chill out a little Absolutely. bit. Absolutely, you're working way too hard. You need to take a nap. Right, mm-hmm. and usually that's not going to be the first line of therapy. Usually, that's going to be probably for people who just you know have that more chronic, you know, annoying allergic rhinitis that happens a lot. And and rhinitis is different than conjunctivitis because rhin relates to the nose, right? That's correct. Like when you hear rhinoceros, that that literally translates to the king of the nose. Like saurus means king of, and then rhino means nose. Like tyrannosaurus is king of the lizards. So rhino, rhinoceros is the same thing. So I just want to point that out. Anytime you see rhino, that usually just means nose, not a rhinoceros like the creature. There you go. There you go. That's a great. We'll, we'll, we'll remember nose for the rest of our lives now. Um, for viral conjunctivitis, Again, like we've mentioned earlier, usually it will go away on its own in a couple of weeks. Um, And again, remember, it's very contagious. But things that you can do to help alleviate some of the symptoms are, again, you can use cold compresses or cold rags on your eyes. And you can take um, anti you can use anti-allergy medicine. So you can either take oral tablets for it just to help reduce some of those itchy or, you know, kind of uh, redness kind of symptoms. And, or you can use um, eye drops as well. That's an anti-allergy, antihistamine type thing. Um, and you can also use um, um, artificial tears just to get some relief if you feel it's kind of gritty and just kind of bothersome and stuff. So. Yeah, I love artificial tears. And actually, um, one thing I learned about artificial tears, a lot of people... I, I used to do this when I hold them above my eye. I wish you could see this, but I would usually hold them like an inch or two above my eye. And that would be so nerve wracking for me because that drop was, you know, you'd flinch because you don't like anything landing on your eye. So I found this fun little trick for anybody out there. You actually tilt your head back and put the bottle in the corner of your eye and then kind of tilt your head so that when you basically squirt, it's right next to your eye too. So you don't put it above, you actually put it right in there. So when it squirts in, it basically just kind of pours into your eyes. You don't have that dropping thing anymore. You don't have to worry about that drop falling on your eye. So I find that technique much better if you're ever looking to put drops in your eyes. Um, definitely YouTube something like that. I'm sure I'm not the first person to discover this, uh, but it's a much better way of putting drops in your eyes. But do remember that when you're putting any kind of eye drop in your eye, do not let the applicator, the tip of the bottle ever touch your eye. Because remember, you're putting it in there because something's going on with your eye. And especially if you have a bacterial conjunctivitis, you don't want the bacteria to get on 
the tip of your bottle because then you could contaminate the whole solution. Right. So you want to make and if sure somebody that somebody else uses that, then they'll, you'll give them you'll, the thing give, that they'll you're give carrying. It. Yeah. yeah. So don't. That's a good advice. Yeah. I didn't think about that. So don't touch the actual plastic part to, to your, your eye. eye. Right. Keep it slightly above. Right. Absolutely. Okay. That's Absolutely. good advice. Um, and so then the okay. So then the last type of conjunctivitis that we're going to talk about as far as treating is bacterial. Again, we talked about the fact that you're going to need a healthcare provider involved because you do need an antibiotic for that. Um, usually, it's going to be a broad spectrum antibiotic. Things like um, there usually is a combination of polymyxin bacitracin or trimethoprim polymyxin. Um, there are some other individual agents that, uh, that azithromycin, I think, is a one dose um, medication for it. Um, I think more likely you're going to get the combination um, trimethoprim polymyxin or the uh, polymyxin bacitracin combinations. They're the more commonly prescribed agents. If you wear contact lenses, you might need what we call a fluoroquinolone, so something like ciprofloxacin or levofloxacin or gadifloxacin are some of the eye drops that are available to treat that because sometimes contact lens wearers, as I said, can have other organisms in their eyes that are a little bit more difficult to treat. So there might be, a, so again, another reason for a healthcare provider to look at it um, to just make the best choice as far as which medication to prescribe. In the literature that when I read, let me add this one last comment, and then I think Josh has something else to say. Um, I did read as well that sometimes for school systems, because sometimes viral and bacterial conjunctivitis are not um, always um, well delineated from one another. Sometimes it's recommended that whether you have viral or bacterial, uh, that a, 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 20, a 48 hour uh, dose of antibiotics is recommended before the kiddo can come back to school. So again, that's unfortunate because again, the antibiotic is not going to help with a viral conjunctivitis but you're also trying to reduce uh, the contagion, you know, and uh, allowing kids to come back to school. I'm not sure I really agree with that, but I have seen that in the literature. So again, um, it would be hard for a kiddo to stay home from school for two weeks if they have allergic conjunct, I mean, um, viral conjunctivitis. Um, so again, that would just be a case by case basis with the parent working with the teacher um, to figure out what to do for their kiddo in that circumstance. Yeah, I was going to say something along that vein. That's a silly policy. Um, I see what they're trying to do. They're just trying to cast a wide net and hopefully catch the most cases as possible. But for the kid who doesn't have bacterial conjunctivitis, that's not going to be helpful at all. So I was going to say, when you go to your healthcare provider um, for bacterial conjunctivitis or whatever type of conjunctivitis, um, remember, these people are people just like you are, and they have long days, and you might be the last patient they see, and they might be tired, and they want to go home, and they might not do the due diligence need to be done. Sometimes people prescribe antibiotics just because it's it's easier to prescribe something than to do a test to see if you need to do something. So I would really push your healthcare provider to say, actually prove and actually provide evidence that this is there is bacteria in there. You can do easy tests to, to, to show that bacteria are actually living in your eye, especially ones that cause disease. And if they're not present, then there's no point of giving you an antibiotic because giving you antibiotics when you don't need them is actually not a good idea because 
you can actually, like I said before, you can promote antibiotic resistance um, in your body because antibiotics are not specific to types of bacteria. It's just to all types of bacteria. So if you do have another bacteria in your body that will become resistant to an antibiotic, that's not good. So we really need to limit our use to, of antibiotics to when we actually need to do it. And that actually, unfortunately, might fall upon you, the patient, to really ask your doctor or healthcare provider to, to, to do their due diligence and test. Because, you know, we're all lazy. We sometimes want to take the easy way out. And that even means for people that you're trusting with your healthcare knowledge. So I always think an informed patient is a good patient because you're really working in tandem with your healthcare provider to provide the best treatment for yourself. So be informed and ask for the appropriate treatment. Right. I, I would um, agree with that. Um, and again, uh, there are some antibiotics that are more specific for certain bugs than others. And so some of them are not all broad spectrum. And even though it says a broad spectrum or a broad antibiotic, it doesn't cover absolutely every um, uh, bacteria, but there are going to be certain specific bacteria that cause conjunctivitis and those antibiotics are going to target those. So, um, I'd say, I think that's pretty much what we've got to say as far as conjunctivitis. Um, again, remember there's four different kinds. We do have, um, some common treatments for all of them, such as artificial tears or, uh, cold compresses, um, you know, antihistamines, um, and a decongestants for allergic conjunctivitis. Um, and uh, for irritative conjunctivitis, it's pretty much avoiding the substance that's causing the irritation, you know, and stuff. So you could still use cold compresses or maybe some artificial tears to help release some of those symptoms. But just getting away from whatever that substance is that's causing the problem will help usually get rid of that as well, too. So yeah, I think that's really good advice. I think one of the, uh, one of the misconceptions out there about pink eye is that you can that you can only get it from using the bathroom or using the bathroom that somebody else is at. Uh, I don't know how that rumor or myth started. You can obviously get it from anywhere. Uh, maybe there's a lot of bacteria in the bathroom, but there's a lot of bacteria everywhere. Um, but it really is just about being in a place where something could get in your eye and infect it or irritate it. Um, so for those people out there, they're overly cautious. Um, don't immediately go to the doctor if or the healthcare provider. If you get it, try a cold compress, try an antihistamine um, first. And if, and if that goes away over a couple of days, remember, your body has existed for a very long time. Um, so um, it's good about fighting infections. That's why we still are around as a human race. Um, but also sometimes problems will persist. And if they persist, and especially if you see things like pus and You'll just know when something's wrong. You feel it, it the pain, especially. Um, I, the list that my mom said, it's like, definitely go to the I May I share an anecdote with you about this particular subject? Absolutely. I'd love to hear it. So, so you know, I'm older, and so I'm not expecting to struggle with pink eye anymore. You know, I'm always think I'm associating that with being younger. I don't know why. You know, that's, I'm like not even following my own rules. But so last, uh, last winter, I went shopping um, to go look for um, wallflowers at a particular store that sells these wonderful little things that you can plug in the wall and make your house smell better. And so, you know, you touch them and smell the candles to figure out what your favorite scent is. And so I bought my little half dozen of them and went home. And two days later, I woke up with a crusty eye. And I'm like, 
what in the world? And so, I mean, again, I hadn't been out that much. And so I'm thinking, again, I have no proof of this, but I'm thinking because I touched all those wallflowers or the candles and did not come home and immediately wash my hands, somebody must have already had bacterial conjunctivitis. And so sure enough, I ended up, so I waited a couple of days and I'm like, I've got to deal with this because I ended up not only with having the redness in my white of my eye, but I also started a crusty eyelid, but I also had the, the, the lid of my eye and under my eye was also red. So I was developing a cellulitis as well too. So I was getting skin. So I ended up having to get antibiotics and stuff. So it was like, oh my gosh. So here I'm a testimonial that Taking antibiotics for bacterial conjunctivitis really works. And within two or three days, it was it was much better. That's so. great. And if you don't take antibiotics, it could last longer it or could. lead into more, more chronic problems. problems. Yeah, because yes. bacteria, they love to stick around. They love to survive. And uh, just the store that my mom was mentioning, she loves I, uh, Bath and Body Works. I get her something for her birthday or Christmas every year. And I've been doing it for the past 30-something years. Um, so we hope Bath and Body Works will sponsor this podcast uh, so they can send us free stuff. Also, so that we don't have to go into the store and touch all the things that everyone else touches so that we get pink eye. Did, did I ever get pink eye as a kid? I don't remember. Uh, you would remember more than me. Um, I don't remember if it was you or your brother. I may have it written down someplace, but one of you got it one, one time. So if it wasn't frequent, but one of you all got it one time. It might have been you but it might've been your brother. Maybe it was both of you, you know, so I'm, I'm not sure. All so. right. Yeah, I know. Kids get into the, the strangest things. Yeah. Well, uh, we really appreciate y'all um, listening to this episode on Pink Eye. We hope you learned something. I know that uh, my mom and I did and uh, looking up this literature and helping y'all out. Um, if you ever have any additional questions or any comments about maybe an episode you'd like to see in the future or about this episode, um, you can follow us on Twitter, um, Your Mom on Drugs podcast. Um, we also have an Instagram and we usually try to, uh, post our, um, links and sources that we use, um, after each episode so that you guys can follow up and look at the literature yourself. If you're geeks like us, uh, because we, the world needs more geek, uh, as the, as the, the famous book said, the geek shall inherit the earth. Um, <laughs> my mom's shaking her head. No, that's not it, but I changed it to that. So, uh, again, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we hope that you have a wonderful day. And we'll see you next time. We'll see you next time. All right. Bye. Bye.